Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. If you're new here, my name is Ellen. I'm not the pastor. Let's just get that right on the front. Let's get clear with that. They are out of town this week, so if you're new here, you need to come back. You need to meet Pastor Roger and Kim. They are amazing, and I know that they would love to talk to you and get to know you a little bit. So enjoy this, but we want to see you again, all right? So thank you for coming. Um, We are in the middle of a series this summer on the fruit of the Spirit. Has it been good or what? It's been very good. So every week we've been going over a different fruit. Um, And so that's kind of where we're going today. We're going to continue on with that. Um, We're starting out in Galatians 5. This is kind of what we've been leaning into. And we've, it says, for the, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness. Some versions will say generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Boy, aren't these good things. We want those, right? How many of us naturally have them? (laughs) Not this kid. Not this kid. Because here's a couple of things we've learned. The first thing is that all of these, where do they come from? The spirit. They come from God. These are not things that are intrinsically natural as a human. Like you're not born with these things. I know I was not born with any of these, especially self-control. But... These are things that we lean into because the Spirit provides them. So what we learn from that is this. Our first goal is to focus on God, walk in the Spirit, and then these things begin to flow out of us, okay? So that's the first thing we've learned. The second thing that's really important that we remember in all this is these are all fruit. They're not gifts. You don't believe in suddenly this is who you are. This is something that you cultivate, something that you develop, something you practice. Um, I made a garden this year, and I had so much fun. I love getting in the dirt. I'm a girl that loves dirt. I really do. I don't really care so much about the garden, but I do love getting dirty. So, like, and if there's no thorns, like, I'm not wearing gloves. I want the dirt in my nails. I want to smell it. Um, I've been known to taste it. Um, I just love dirt. And so, like, I worked so hard. The ground that we have at our place is, like, like everybody, everybody's, it's hard, and it was filled with rocks. They had so many wheelbarrows full of rocks. I hand-tilled it because I wanted to be one with the earth. So I did that. I hand-tilled it, and I'm so super proud of it. My son helped me put in some stakes around it, and I put in a little fence around it, and planted my little plants, and I'm just so excited. But, so the thing with the garden is you have to maintain it, so that hasn't gone super well. Um, I've been out a lot, I've been busy a lot, and here's the thing, about a week after I got all my plants in, our irrigation well went down. So we haven't had water since like May, and so in these conditions, like what do you imagine's happened, right? Yeah, so my garden looks pretty scary. Everything is dead, like, like hard dead, like crunchy dead, except for all the weeds that flourish around here, and they're just like having a ball. They're going nuts. My beautiful garden looks like I lost a game of Jumanji. It's just super, super bad. Um, But I was telling somebody else this. The one thing that has flourished, there's been one vegetable that's flourished out of all of this. There's one vegetable that survives being ignored, survives lack of water, survives severe heat. Anybody have an idea what it might be? Nope. Nope. No corn. Kale. Kale survived. Is that ridiculous or what? Like my kale is like green and fluffy and huge. So I'm telling you that because of this. I hear a lot of people like making fun of us who put kale in our smoothies. We're going to outlive all of you. (laughs) All right? It is a fact. So 
you've been warned, all right? So this is just like my garden. We have to work at it. If we ignore it, nothing's going to happen. It's not going anywhere. So today we are looking at the fruit of faithfulness. Faithfulness is a really interesting place. So the interesting thing about this is faithfulness is kind of hard to pinpoint. It's kind of hard to define because it gets connected so easily to two other concepts. One is faith and the other is full of faith. But faithfulness is actually a very different concept. They're all related and they're all, they intertwine, but they're lived out differently. And so that's what we're going to explore today. And so to grapple with the nuances of what faithfulness is, we're going to begin in a place in scripture that many people call the hall of faith. This is a place in Hebrews 11, um, and the writer of Hebrews is like listing out all these stories of these people who've experienced faith in their life. And if you are like looking for a way to like understand scripture, you want stories, like hit that chapter because every verse is like a movie blurb of what's going on. And then you can go find the story in, this, in the Old Testament. It's, it's a really cool place. So that's where we're going to begin to first understand what faith is. So the writer of Hebrews, we don't really know who he was. We kind of think it might have been Apollos or Barnabas. But what we do know that it was written to the Jewish Christians about 70 years after Jesus died. So these are people that they knew their history. They knew their long-term history because they've been sharing these stories for thousands of years. They knew their recent history because they had walked with Jesus, or many of them had walked with Jesus, or maybe their grandparents or parents had. They had understood what it looks like to be in the law and under like these really rigid rules and then to be freed in faith. But suddenly, 70 years after Jesus, not maybe not suddenly, but in this particular season, they are under Roman occupation. There's oppression. There's economic distress. There's enslavement. There's poverty. They are really, really struggling. And they had begun to think that, yeah, this faith thing was great, but maybe, maybe we need to help it out a bit. So maybe we need faith in Moses. We need Jesus and the priesthood. Maybe we need to have Jesus in our faith and um, freedom from the Roman occupation. Like they're trying to help out what they believe to be true. Today, we would be similar. We would say, yeah, I want Jesus and multiple streams of income. Right? I want Jesus and politics. Right? I want Jesus and this or Jesus and that. And what the writer is saying is, don't forget who you are. Don't forget where you've come from because you are people of faith. You've been born of faith, and that's all you need. And so that's kind of where we're going to begin. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. And then we're going to read out of the message. The message is kind of an easy-to-read version. So if you're new to that, that's, that's what this is. It might look a little different than your Bible. And I'm going to skip a lot because this is a really big passage, and we're just going to hit it really fast. So if you see an ellipsis, like three little dots, that means I've taken something out. And if you're not sure about what I've done, and I've done something like Ellen's abridged version is not trustworthy, go look it up, and you'll see what it says, okay? So we're going to begin in verse 1. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation. Under everything that makes life worth living, it's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. By faith, we see the world called into existence by God's word, what we see created by what we don't see. By an act of faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice to God than Cain. It was what he believed, not what he brought, that made the difference. By an act of faith, Enoch skipped death entirely. We know on the basis of reliable testimony that before he was taken, he pleased God. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. Why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. By faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and he acted on what he was told. And as a result... Noah became intimate with God. By an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God, to his call to travel to an unknown place that would become his home when he felt he had no idea where he was going. Abraham did it by keeping his eye on an unseen city with real and eternal foundations, the city designed and built by God. By faith, Sarah 
by faith Abraham, by an act of faith Isaac, by an act of faith Jacob, by an act of faith Joseph, by an act of faith Moses' parents, by faith Moses, by an act of faith Israel, by faith the Israelites, by an act of faith Rahab. I could go on and on, but I've run out of time. There are so many more. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. Through acts of faith, they toppled kingdoms, made justice work, took the promises for themselves. They were protected from lions, fires, and sword thrust, turned disadvantage to advantage, won battles, rooted alien armies. Women received their loved ones back from the dead. There were those who, under torture, refused to give in and go free, preferring something better, resurrection. Others braved abuse and whips and, yes, chains and dungeons. We have stories of those who were stoned, sawed in two, murdered in cold blood, stories of vagrants, wandering the earth in animal skins, homeless, friendless, powerless. The world did not deserve them. Making their way as best they could on the cruel edges of this world. This is going to be a super uplifting message. (laughs) If you give me a minute, we're going to pray together. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of speaking to these people. And I pray that as we talk, we begin to discover something in you that we want inside of us that you'll give us the courage to understand faith and being full of faith and then what it looks like to step into a space of faithfulness. Give me wisdom to speak only what you want me to speak and shut me up if I say something that is not of you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many are enjoying your summer? Yeah? I have enjoyed it so far for the most part. I'm really a homebody, but we've done more traveling than, than I like to, so I've been like, eh, not so much happy about that. But I have enjoyed it somewhat. Yesterday, Toby went with the group um, Bugs in Our Teeth, Bugs in Our Teeth, I think of what it's called. It's a small group, and they are like four-wheelers and razors and Jeeps and motorcycles, and they go on trails and really just go off and find places to eat, I think. But that's what they did yesterday, and they had a great time. I heard stories. I saw pictures. Tina had her razor with her, and um, she wrote her razor, and she, they, she said that at one point they went around a corner, and I'm not sure where they were, but the thermometer on her razor registered 117 degrees. I'm kind of glad I missed it, but it sounds like a lot of fun. But I love adventure. My whole life, I've loved adventure. When I was younger, that's all I was just about. If there was a chance to do something, boom, I'm gone. I didn't think twice. I wanted to do it. Let's do it. When I was young, I'd get myself into so many pickles. So many great stories. I thought they were stories, but later I was told by my parents they were not great stories. But I loved things. And I, when I was young, I was a teenager. I wanted to learn how to fly a plane. Learn how to fly a plane before I could drive a car. I, I have stories of being arrested because I was doing something stupid. It wasn't bad. just was really stupid. But I've always loved adventure. When I was in college, I was 18, and my roommates and I decided that we wanted to go have fun for the night. And we were about two hours outside San Francisco. We're like, let's go to San Francisco for the night. Let's go have some fun. But the problem was none of us owned a vehicle. So we thought, well, that's not a problem. We'll just rent a car. How many of you know that you cannot rent a car when you're 18? You can't. You have to be 25 to rent a car. Super big bummer, right? Except what we learned was... You can't rent a car at 25 or at 18, but you know what you can do at 18? You can rent a 26-foot stick shift U-Haul truck. (laughs) That's what this kid did. Piled all my friends in, drove to San Francisco. I don't know how we didn't kill anybody through the streets of San Francisco. We parked it. We got out. Happened to be Chinese New Year's. Jumped in the parade, danced in the streets. We met Tom Brokaw, met the governor of of California. We had a ball. I think one of us got in the dragon. It was just the best time. We loved it. That was just my, like, if there is something, let's go do it. That's the way I am. When I met my husband, that's one of the things that drew me to him because he is absolutely that way. If you don't know him, he's never met a stranger. There is not a trail or an abandoned road or now an abandoned railroad track that he won't like, go explore. He loves it. And so we were like two peas in a pod. We're exactly the same. It was amazing. It was amazing. 
we were, we were so spontaneous that he actually asked me to marry him before our first date. Yeah, I don't recommend it, but we've been going strong for 26 years, so it did work, right? Yeah. So in the beginning, we had story after story after story because we were just like always like, what's next? Let's, let's go do something. We had a little Ziploc bag in our Jeep glove box. That was our go bag. Like it's about that big. That's all that we needed. And we were just like, who knew if we were coming home from work and decided we wanted to go to the coast or up a mountain or float a river, we were going to go do it. That was just, that was life. We had so many, fun, so many fun stories. And then one day, one of us was taking a shower and the water turned off. Yeah, imagine that. And then a couple of days later, the, water, the electric turned off. And then we realized that as fun and spontaneous and amazing as we were, we weren't very mature. And one of us needed to, like, pay bills and do things like that. <laughs> Super big downers, right? So over time, I realized that we kind of needed to balance out our both serious love of adventure because we're the same. Turned out like, ooh, we're the same. <laughs> yeah. So he is still very adventurous, but over the last 26 years, I have fallen in love with spreadsheets. Yep. And I like flowcharts. And organizational charts, I want a plan, I want a calendar. I'm still going to go on your adventure, but I'm telling you, there's going to be a first aid kit, and I can tell you what's in it, because I have a checklist. I can tell you when it needs to be renewed. I got all the things detailed out, because now I've become like this person that wants to know, like, like this is going to be fun, but we need a, we need a plan, right? I kind of feel like this is where the Hebrews were when this was written. They've been living this life of faith. They've been seeing God do amazing things. They have walked with Jesus. They have stories. But all of a sudden, they feel like, you know, we need a plan because this isn't quite working. Like, I didn't know that I signed up for, like, enslavement. I didn't really sign up for Roman occupation. I didn't sign up to be so poor I can't feed my children. Like, so maybe we need, like, a backup plan. As a people, they had once lived a life fully relying on God. But now, their oppression, their hunger, their poverty, it had led them to be wondering if there is a better way. And the writer is telling them, that's not who you are. You're designed for faith. You don't need spreadsheets. You don't need a contingency plan. You have a faithful God. So as we look at this passage and we begin to explore what does it mean to be faithful, well, let's go to the root, which is faith. And we know that it comes from the Spirit. So let's see, what first, what does faith look like in God? If it comes from Him, what does it look like when it begins in Him? And what we're seeing in here is that over and over and over and over and over again, God cares for His people. He shows up. He offers them promises and hope, and then he follows through. They have needs, and he provides their needs. They have struggle, and he redeems them. He always continually shows up. With Abraham, Abraham was a man who was wandering. He was just kind of a vagabond. He didn't have any children. The scripture says that he was so old he was good as dead. That wouldn't work for most of us to be told that, but that's what Abraham was, good as dead. And God said, you know what? I'm going to make you a father. I'm going to make your descendants so great, the galaxies are going to reflect how big your family is. And you know what? God did. God gave, brought him to a land called Canaan. Abraham didn't know where he was trucking along, but he wound up in Canaan. It became Israel. His descendants have literally filled the earth. You look at Moses. Moses' parents, can you imagine being in slavery and they know that the Pharaoh is coming to kill all the babies? And Moses' mama says, you know, I think my, I didn't like bear this child and raise it up to this little age for it to be killed. I think there's more for this baby. And God says, yeah, I have more for your child. So here's my plan. This is my genius plan to, rec to rescue your child. Put it in a little basket, because that feels safe, and put it in the Nile and say, bye-bye. Right? This mama would have some problems with that. Right? I have wanted to say bye-bye at times. But, but for the most part, like, that would have been really crazy. And yet she trusted God 
She put him in a basket. She sent him down the Nile, and God showed up. And her son was rescued. He became a ruler in the house of Pharaoh. He rescued the people and brought them out of slavery and brought them through the promised land. Are you kidding me? Because a mama was willing to trust this little whisper from God? What about Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute. She probably didn't choose that. It's probably something that was like, it was her only option to survive. And so she's doing what she can do to survive. But you know, inside of her, she knows there's something more for my life than just living this awful, awful life. And sure enough, God shows up. She begins to help two Hebrew spies. She is a key part in the redemption of the Israelites. She's in the lineage of of Jesus because she believed God said, I'm more, more than this. Okay, I'm more than this. What about the Shunammite woman? The Shunammite woman has a child that's dying, just nothing left. And she says, you know what? I believe that if I listen to the prophet, God will raise my child. Yes. People come to her and say, hey, are you okay? What's going on? How's your age? She's like, all is well. Yes. All is well. He's still sick. There's dying. There's death. I, I, can, I can smell it in my home, but all is well because I know that there's something ahead for me. And sure enough, God raises her son. Over and over and over again, women prayed for children who were barren. God gives them families. People who were starving prayed for food. God brings water out of a rock, drops birds out of the skies and feeds them. Everything they've ever needed, God shows up. Everything they've ever longed for, everything they've ever stressed about, God shows up and he provides. They need deliverance. He protects them. He sets them free. So if all of these things are the way that God shows he's faithful to us, what does this mean about faith? What does this mean about what faithfulness is? What does it say about the character and nature of God? Well, this is what it says. Number one, he keeps his word. If God says something, it's going to happen. It may not happen when you think it will or when you think it should or how it, you want it to be, but it's going to happen. He shows up. He doesn't walk up the scene and say, good luck, folks. He doesn't do that. He shows up. He provides for us. He's consistent. Scripture says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what that means is that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It might look like he's shown up differently, but the whole intention of God is he's pursuing his people. He's redeeming his people. He's fighting for his people. His constant pursuit is us. So if that is what faithfulness is in God, what does it look like when it's in us? Okay? So based upon this, we can reason this way. If God keeps his word, we should keep our word. If God is consistent, we're consistent. If he shows up, we show up. Faithfulness is a condition of steadfast character. It's a condition of reliability, trustworthiness, and we know how this is lived out. None of it, this is not a genius idea for any of us. Every single one of us knows these things. At work, faithfulness is your boss says to be there at 8 o'clock, you're there at 8 o'clock. You work six hours, you don't put seven hours on your time clock. Faithfulness is when you say, I'm going to do my job, you do your job. Yeah. We have a Netflix account, as most people do, and I'm sure we're the only ones in the room who do this, but we share the password with some people. <laughs> Um, so people who have lived with us different times and different kids and different family members, they have our password account. Some people call that parasites, but I don't think I'm going to go there. But anyway, so the other day, our Netflix account got hacked and by some people in the Dominican Republic. We figured that out. Um, and so I shut it off and I changed the password. And I was mostly, like, I love foreign films, but they were changing on my menus to English. And I I need the menus at least in English. So, because everything was Spanish. So now I changed everything back over. I changed the passwords. And I was going to text everybody and say, hey, here's the new password. Before I could do that, like within two minutes of changing the password, I got a text by one of these people. And they said, hey, did you change the Netflix password? I said, oh, yeah, actually, I just did that. And they said, "Um, yeah, I need that right now. And I was like, okay. Yeah, what's going on? Everything all right? They said, yeah, I'm at work, and I just need my Netflix password. And I was like, okay, you need it at work? And, like, they don't work like a, you know, midnight security job. They work a job where you have to, like, do things and be there. And this person said, 
yeah, I can pretty much do my job and watch movies at the same time. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. So I gave them the password, and a couple days later, the person called me, and they were so frustrated. They're like, nobody is recognizing my work. Nobody is, like, promoting me. I'm getting overlooked. And I was like, hmm, wonder why that's happening. Can't imagine what it could be. That is not faithfulness. Faithfulness says if you're, gonna, if you're assigned a job, you do your job. You work, you work hard. You play, you play hard. That's faithfulness. That's what we do. In relationships, it's the same. In relationships, we keep our word. We don't lie to people. We say we're going to show up. We show up, and if we can't, we let them know. We communicate. It means that people can trust us that what we say we are is who we are, right? We're not one day thing one day and one day the next. We're consistent. In marriage, faithfulness is often referenced in marriage, and often in marriage it's referenced as kind of like sexual um, purity in the, within the marriage. And the, here's the thing, though. That is faithfulness, but it goes far beyond that. You can be physically, like, Committed to your spouse, but if your mind, if what you're watching, what you're letting your, your brain dwell on, if that is not committed, that's not faithfulness. Faithfulness is a whole experience. Even so much that you can, like, say you're, you're you know, committed in your relationship, but your family feels like they have to walk on eggshells, that's not being faithful. If your kids feel like they never know when you're going to blow up, that's not being faithful. Faithful is being consistent, being someone that people can rely on. Now, all of these things are like no-brainers, right? Is this the first time anybody's ever heard this? No. We're not always good at it. I can be one that you have to walk on eggshells around sometimes. It's true. But we try. But true faithfulness goes much, much deeper than this. True faithfulness goes beyond just the way we show up at work or in our home. Here's the thing. True faithfulness is how we engage, ready for it, our faith. Now, my English teacher in high school would say you'd never define a word with the word, right? But this is what it means. Because these three things are so connected, let's kind of explore them. Faith is believing that God says, when God says who he is, that's who he is. When God says he will do something, he'll do something. Without evidence, without certainty and knowing for sure that this is going to happen, you just believe it. Like, okay. God, you said that you're good. I'm going to believe you're good. That's faith. That's just the basic of faith. Being full of faith means that awareness of who God is, the character and nature of God, is so big inside of you that you have no doubt that this God is going to show up and do mighty things. You are filled to the brim with faith. Some of us have experienced that at times and in seasons. Some of us live in that space. Some of us have never, can't, can't imagine what that's like. But that is a space where you have no room for believing that nothing good can come from God. You live in the miraculous. You live in believing that God will show, do miracles and he'll show up. The impossible is possible with him because you're filled with faith. The challenge is, is that that can be like a stopping point for many people. We often feel like, oh, I'm so full of faith. God can do anything. I'll pray and raise the dead. Well, that's great. But sometimes that can become a spiritual bypass. And when we can believe so strong that God can do something, we inadvertently excuse ourselves of the responsibility of living it out. Because we're relying so much on him, we can step back and say, you got this, God. And that is not what he's asking us to step into. Faith is believing in him. Being full of faith is knowing, like, there's, he is here. He is with us. Faithfulness is saying, you know what? I don't know how he's going to do this. I am uncertain, but I'm going to intentionally step into a space where he is, and I'm going to live in that uncertainty. I'm going to live without the knowing Faith is the absence of truly knowing. It's believing without knowing. And so if we know so strong that it's not faith, faithfulness says, I'm not sure how you're going to do this, but I'm going to intentionally choose to walk in you. That's faithfulness. Faithfulness is a place that we are often called to, and we like the idea of living in faithfulness, but it's really, really really hard 
Because faithfulness, living faithful, is choosing to remain in the absence of certainty. It's not being swayed by distress or circumstance. It is willfully entering into the unknown and remaining. And this is hard. Faithfulness, like true faithfulness, is extremely hard because life is hard. We're all flying through this time and space on a broken planet, and no one rides for free. Every one of us has heartache. Every one of us experiences suffering. We have aches and pains. We have grief. We've been harmed, wounded, broken. Our bodies and our spirits groan. This is human suffering. And so we yearn for relief and rescue and redemption and restoration. And we try to escape those spaces that feel uncomfortable because we don't like it. We want to know. We want a spreadsheet to say how it's all going to work out. But life doesn't do that for us. In this room... I guarantee we're representing people in here who have experiencing financial struggle right now, especially in this economy, right? We have financial struggle. We have marital stress in this room. We have kids who are struggling in school, struggling to connect. In this room, there are impossible medical diagnoses that people are trying to face, and they really don't have any clear answers. In this room, we have loved ones who have been, who've gone, and we are left feeling empty and alone. And these uncertain spaces, they are terrifying. It is our human instinct to run from them. We have difficulty sometimes believing that God really will be good and that God really is something and someone we can trust. Because what we see, what we experience, what is surrounding us just feels too much. So often, like these Hebrews, we feel like we need to help them out a bit, right? We feel like we need to add to the equation because what he's already done is not enough and we are required to bring about the promise. We are are required to bring out the the restoration. Our fear of the unknown leads us to hold on to control because we can't risk what if it doesn't show up like I need it to? What if he doesn't show up when I need him to? What if it's just too risky? But these moments, these intersections of joy and sorrow and good and evil and greatness and struggle, hope and anxiety, our ideals and our reality, these awful, messy places are the sacred spaces that are holy. Because it's in those places where we're invited to live faithfully. If you can't ever imagine yourself being in a place where you don't have any answers, you'll never have an opportunity to experience faithfulness. If everything is smooth and going great for you and you have no questions, you will never lean into the fullness of what it means to be faithful. There's something powerful about believing in a God that can do anything, but also wrestling with the reality of if he will and still saying, I don't know, it doesn't make sense, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to choose to enter into this space that feels wobbly and scary and uncertain, and I'm going to remain. I don't need all the answers. I don't need to have it figured out. I don't need a flow chart dropped from heaven. I'm going to trust that you are who you say you are, and I'm going to remain in this space. Often, we confuse our yearning for answers and meaning and understanding and rescue. We confuse it for a desire for stability, predictability, simplicity. And when we do that, faith disappears. When we cling to all those answers, we we completely dismiss the need to rely on God. Most people spend their whole lives seeking ways that seek more certainty. They're running from difficult questions. They're fearing ambiguity. We become paralyzed by uncertainty, racked with the anxiety of not knowing. And it's in this this space that feels so awkward and weird and so counter to who we are, especially as Western culture people. Man, that discomfort is something we avoid. But it is in the unknown, in the doubt, in the uncertainty 
that is where we find God. Without fully knowing, that's when we find faith. The prerequisite for any meaningful journey in life is faithfulness. Do you know that in adversity, the greatest things are born of adversity? Discovery, revelation, insight, love, surprise, invention, joy, delight. None of those things will ever occur. You will never experience those things if you don't allow yourself to be in a place of uncertainty. If you protect yourself so much from any possible thing that could go wrong, you will never experience the highs and the joy and the promises of your life because that is where we find God. Over and over and over again in scripture, he says, I'll show up. I'll provide for you. I will answer your questions. I will like assuage your fears. I will heal you. I'll restore you. I will redeem you. Because he's faithful. Our choices will we be. It's a choice. It's a choice for us to choose to lean into a space where we don't know when he will be faithful or how he will be faithful. It's an act of surrendering ourselves to something beyond ourselves and to relinquishing control and responsibility for God's promises. The balance is that our faith, in our faith we surrender to him and that requires us to remain in his space, to remain engaged and to participate in our lives. And we do that by just showing up consistently. In our life, show up. And your faith, show up. He says, I will be there, and we need to be there too. So today, no matter what you're facing, no matter how difficult it is, how tough it is, and discouraging or impossible, regardless of the reasons and evidence, the proof you have that justifies you walking away, that justifies you taking back the reins on your life and saying, it's okay, God, I got this. Whatever your, your, your reason is for that, Faithfulness says, this is crazy, it's uncertain, it's unknown, but remain. Stay. Be consistent. No matter what comes, we don't know how crazy it is, how scary it can be, how uncertain it can be, but our choice is, choice, is to remain. One of my favorite little people in, I call them little people because it's a little tiny verse in scripture. He might have been a great big guy, I don't know. One of my favorite characters in the New Testament is a guy by the name of Matthias. There's like one or two verses about him, not too much. Matthias was hanging around with Jesus and the apostles. And Judas betrayed Jesus, and so he's out. And so they're looking for someone to replace him. And so they're looking to replace someone as an apostle. This is a pretty big role really important piece of the work of the kingdom. And so they began looking around and they said, the only requirement that we have to fill this role of apostlehood is this. The person that we find needs to have been with us from the moment Jesus was baptized by John through all the stories, the ups and downs, the goods and the bads, constantly, consistently there, all the way through his trial, his crucifixion, resurrection, and they had to watch him ascend. The only requirement for this apostle was that they were faithful. They weren't looking for someone who was eloquent. They weren't looking for someone who had great recruiting or marketing skills or strategy planning. They weren't looking for that. They were looking for someone who would show up, someone who was consistent, Come hell or high water, they were going to be there. And do you know what Matthias, like his gift to the kingdom was? You know what his role was? This is his role. When they would say, did Jesus really feed 5,000 people with some fish and some bread? He'd say, yeah, I was there. Well, did, did Jesus really cast all the demons and they went into pigs and went off a cliff? Yeah, I was there. Well, did Jesus really raise Lazarus from the dead? Was, like he, was he actually dead? Yeah, I smelled him. So well, did, did Jesus really like deliver Mary like, from the demons that were in her? Did he really like, take the woman who was being stoned to death and forgive her and shame the Pharisees and they left? And he said, yeah, I was there. The only requirement 
was that he was consistent, that he was faithful. Without knowing what was to come, come hell or high water, he said, I'm going to remain. When I was a little girl, um, like all of us, I began to develop slowly growing up, and so I lifted my head up, and eventually I sat up, and eventually I stood with my hands on a couch. Do you like the couch walk around the room? Anybody have little kids that do that? Yeah? And then eventually I'd take a first step and try to walk, and then fall, and take another step, and fall, and then take another step, and then fall. That's pretty normal, right? But for me, it lasted a long, long time. And when I was about two, almost three, the doctors finally discovered that I had something wrong with my bones, and I was not ever going to walk. And so from then on, I spent a lot of time in and out of hospitals. Anybody ever heard of a Shriners Hospital? I'm a Shriners kid. Yeah. Back in those days, in the 70s, it was Shriners Hospital for crippled children. I think now it's just Shriners Hospitals, maybe. But that was me. And so I spent a lot of time in my early years in body casts, in walkers. I had a brace that I'd wear that would split my legs about this wide, and I'd try to walk like this. But it was trying to strengthen my bones. It was super exciting. I remember, I have a vivid memory when I was about six years old, and I had just had another surgery, been in a body cast for a while, and I remember them cutting it and taking me out. And then a couple days later, they wheeled me, because I was in a wheelchair a lot, they wheeled me into a PT room. And in that room, there was a parallel bars. Um, looking back, it was about, probably about six feet long, just like the, the gymnasts use, right? So they lined me up on it, and they said, okay, here's the deal. If you can use these bars and walk the length of this parallel bars, you qualify for crutches. I was so excited. Like, I want crutches. Crutches, that's like the thing. That's the epitome of, like, life. Crutches. I want crutches. And so I remember, like, getting so excited, and I, I held on to it, and I remember just shaking a little bit. I can do this. And I remember taking a step. And then I collapsed, and I'm lifting myself up with my little scrawny arms, taking a step, and collapsing. I think I took about three steps when they told me I was done, and that I didn't quite qualify for crutches that day. I still had to go back to the wheelchair and to the walkers, and was going to be in that for a little longer. I cannot tell you, I still vividly can taste the disappointment. But eventually, I walked. I'm walking today. I can run. It's kind of funny looking. But I can run. And, and I do well. I still sometimes need help. Every now and then, I need someone to support me. I have good days and bad days. But I can do it. That is just like learning to walk in faith. Some of us, we're amazing. We learn to follow after God and suddenly we like believe and we start walking and things start happening we're miraculous and we're just like superheroes of faith. Others of us, we stumble and we fall. We get wobbly. We need supports. Sometimes those supports feel like restraints. Sometimes we need people around us. People who will say, I'm going to stand for you when you can't stand on your own. People who are going to say, you can't believe this, but I'm telling you, I believe for you because I know. I'm going to do a little experiment here, and I want you to choose to respond if you wish to, but I'm going to ask you some questions. And if this applies to you or you're aware of this, I want you to indicate by nodding your head, raising your hand, whatever is appropriate for you. But I'm curious if anyone in this room has ever seen somebody miraculously healed. Has anybody in this room ever had a financial struggle and you felt like, I don't know how we're going to do this, and then suddenly something happens and God makes a way with more income or a check? Or, yeah. Has anybody ever been in a really precarious position with their children and they didn't know what to do? Or, or like, how are we going to navigate this difficult family matter? And God begins to like have conversations for you and heal old wounds and people come back. Has anybody ever experienced that? Yeah. Has anybody in this room ever experienced such, like, marital stress? I mean, maybe you're on the point of walking out. Like, maybe there was, like, you were headed for a dissolution, and there's no way this was going to happen. And then 
God walks in and restores your marriage. Yeah? Anybody ever experience, like, deep shame from physical harm or sexual harm, and you feel as though your mind and your body and your emotions are completely gone, and then God walks in and, like, restores your heart, renews your mind, brings a peace in that nothing can take away, and restores you. Yeah. Anybody here ever pray for something that never happened, but God gave you the grace to get through it? Yeah. Anybody ever wrestle with chronic pain and you prayed for it to go away, but it hasn't gone away, but God has shown you something in that experience that nobody else will experience unless they've walked that same path? That's me. Because our God is faithful. Our God always shows up. So here's what I want you to do. If you raised your hand at any point, raise your hand now. Okay? So you guys have two responsibilities. The first is this. Don't forget it. Just like the writer of Hebrews, like remember, by faith God did this. God showed up. When I wasn't sure what to do, when I didn't know where to go, God showed up. When we had no answers and no hope, God showed up. And let those memories like fuel you as you enter into new seasons of uncertainty and the unknown. And the second thing is this. If you ever experience God showing up and God being faithful and he has picked you up and given you strength to walk on, your responsibility is to become a support for somebody else. He does not redeem us and give us healing and restore us in isolation. We don't live in a vacuum. Our goal in life to live faithfully as a community is to support one another. And so if you did not raise your hand for something and you're wondering if God can show up in your circumstance, you find somebody who raised their hand. You seek out people who can say, I was there. I know he did it for them. I know he can do it for you. We hold on to those things. We believe in those things. And we walk together until we can get to where we need to be. That is the goodness of our God. And that is how we live out faithfully. If the band would like to come up, I want to say that I believe that God can do anything. I believe sometimes he needs a new watch. Because his timing doesn't seem to be the, my timing. So I want to have conversations about that with him when we get to heaven. But I know that my God is faithful. I know those stories in scripture, he'll do those again. I know the stories in this room, he will do those again. And whatever is in your life, whatever circumstances have come up for you, Whatever it is that you're facing, I don't care what it is, how great, how impossible, how insane it might be, God will walk into your world and transform everything for you. If he restored their marriages, he's going to restore yours. If he healed their bodies, he's going to heal yours. If he has shown up and provided finances when there was no way, he's going to do it for you. If you've experienced, if, like there's people here who've experienced impossible grief, and he's like, restoring their joy he'll do it for you too his faithfulness says he will show up he will our faithfulness is we're going to be there we're not going to bail we're not going to run away we're not going to say this is too hard I can figure it out on my own we're going to say God I'm going to trust that you are who you say you are. I'm going to trust that you will do what you say you will do. And I am going to remain in you. That is faithfulness. I'd like to pray with you. I can feel in this room right now that there are some of you who who really didn't plan on having something that was kind of heavy on a, on a summer service. It's like, I don't think I signed up for that. But there's others of you that are like, you know what? I am in a place where I can't see a way out. I have no idea how God's gonna restore my family. I have no idea how God is gonna do the things that I long for him to do. And I want to run away. So I want to pray that you will remain. 
will stay. And as we do, that we will see the salvation of our Lord. There's a scripture that says that he's gonna protect you in the fire, you won't burn. In, in the waters, you won't drown. He's got your back. We have to just remain. Lord, I thank you for this group. And God, I know, I know that when we look back, each one of us have seen your faithfulness to us. And if we sat down today and we wrote the stories, we could far exceed the Hebrews 11 chapter because you have shown up over and over and over over again in our lives. So God, I pray that this week as we study the fruit of cultivating the choice to remain in you, that you'll give us the courage to stand in the place of adversity. You give us the wisdom to know how to remain when it seems chaotic and crazy and uncertain. That we will not fear things we don't know because we are surrounded by you. I pray that you go with every single person in this room. And whether it's in this moment or it's the rest of the day or tonight as they rest, God, that you will begin whispering things to them that are directly from you in areas where you're asking them to lean into you, to not rely upon their own ways of figuring things out, but they will trust that you are the God who shows up and you are our God. I'm grateful to you goodness. I'm grateful to you for your patience and your love and your mercy. And help me grow those things so I can be here when you come. Amen. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys and let's continue to love God, love people and change the world.